the views expressed on TMI with Aldous Tyler are not necessarily those of WSUMFM, the University of Wisconsin in Madison, or the Board of Regents. Oh no, my friends, the views for the next hour are all mine. TMI with Aldous Tyler for Friday, the 27th of August, 2021, coming to you as always from beautiful Madison, Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, I wish, I wish my topic for the first segment here was as sunny as that greeting, but, um, well, all right, let's just get into it. As you're aware by now, I'm pretty sure um since the beginning of last year we've been in a pandemic now um there was this period of time here uh from about oh i don't know uh late may onward where we seemed to really want to pretend that we were completely done that was oh that's it we're we don't have anything no story about the pandemic is over no um we've just kind of sort of seemed to have a pause in it the vaccines were doing a decent job of of keeping things quelled but remember also this time last year was when things were kind of getting quiet anyway because it was summertime everybody was outdoors right right okay here's the thing um breaking news as of this tuesday this uh, the 24th there are more than 25 thousand United States citizens in intensive care units across the country with COVID-19. More than 25,000. Now, why is that number significant? Well, for one thing, that's a lot of people in intensive care with the same thing, right? How much so? <laughs> it's a record. Um, it is the highest level of patients in ICU at the same time across the country with COVID-19 since the pandemic began. In other words, there's been no time, none, zero zip zilch since early 2020 when the pandemic first locked on to American shores here that United States hospitals have had this many people in the intensive care unit with COVID-19. So, so let me make sure we understand this because we're, we're reopening schools. 
everyone's going back to college. And hey, by the way, welcome back. I, I'm glad to see people. It's great. I'm a social critter myself. I get it, right? We all want to be able to say hi to our neighbor. We all want to be able to go out and have a drink with our friends. We all want to be able to go out and hook up with randos. Well, okay, maybe you want to avoid that. I don't know. It's up to you. But here, here's the deal. We all want to be able to be social beings. I get it. It's been more than a year since we've had to seriously curtail that, and it sucks. I get it. But the problem is we haven't done what we need to do so that by this time, we're able to just go out and enjoy ourselves together. There are far too many people who haven't been vaccinated. Now, I am sitting right now in the county in Wisconsin that is the highest vaccination rate at roughly 70% of the folks having both doses. All right. I, that's the highest percentage in the entire state. And we are currently not allowed to be in indoor spaces together without masks. Now, now let me let me be clear. We've done everything we can right, right? Um, ahead of things, we were wearing our masks, right? We, uh, you know, before the, I should say, ahead of the vaccine, we were wearing our masks. We were socially distancing. Uh, Dane County was a practical ghost town for a little while. Uh, because everybody was staying at home and making sure it was all done right. And then now that the vaccine's available, we, uh, we've got that. And yet here we are with a mask mandate for all indoor uh, spaces. And you know what? I don't mind. Okay. I'm not complaining that we have to have a mask mandate. What boggles my mind and has since this whole thing began is that the county whose overall behavior has been the most responsible in the entire state of Wisconsin is the only one that has basically an enforced rule saying, look, we, we can't do this just yet, guys. When honest to gosh, we, this has to happen all the way across the state. And of course, frankly, across the country. Now, 25,000 Americans in the ICU with COVID-19 again, highest since Everything began. So what, what does that mean exactly? Well, okay, how about this? There's a town in Texas that's closed down, essentially, because their COVID-19 positive rate is above 40%. There's a town in Texas. It's called Ira Ann. It's spelled almost like the country Iran. It's I-R-A-A-N, but it's pronounced Ira Ann, Texas. Um, according to the Texas Tribune, an oil field town with a population about 1,300 people, had its local school shut down last week after about 25% of the staff and 16% of the student body tested positive or were in quarantine for COVID-19. Now, that West Texas town only has a 14-bed hospital, no critical care facilities, right? So everybody who's in an ICU for COVID-19 from IRAN has to have been, you know, taken elsewhere in fact the closest hospitals according to the uh according to the texas tribune uh to iran with the equipment and services needed to handle serious covid19 cases are 80 miles or more away so so let me make sure we're we're understanding this texas town essentially has been completely um completely 
just devastated and, um, and, and immobilized by COVID-19 because they don't have the resources to, to handle it at all. And they have to go 80 miles to fill up ICU beds over there with their sick people, right? Now, interestingly enough, Ira Ann's schools are not, by the way, putting up any kind of a fight um, against Republican uh, Governor Greg Abbott's anti-mask mandates, right? Um, the Ira Ann Sheffield Independent School District um, has joined three other school districts that allow mask wearing, to, mask wearing to be optional, and all of them are now closed due to high COVID-19 numbers. Um, a statement from the district superintendent, Dr. Tracy Cantor, conveyed to parents that the school will be closed until at least August 30th. <laughs> yeah, like that's going to be when they open. CNN reports this may be an optimistic timetable. Ira Ann saw 119 people tested in the first two weeks of August. 50 of those tests came back positive. That's your 40% positivity rate right there. The town's city council has already voted to close the city um, building, I should say, and postpone late fees on water, gas utilities, and stop utility disconnections for at least a month. Well, thank goodness for that, right? Little mercy? <laughs> Oh, oh, and most important for Ira and Texas, the football season has been postponed for now. Yeah. Now, basically, I mean, Ira and General Hospital CEO Jason Reibold mentioned to CNN he was very concerned for the community and whether the small town of Ira and will be receiving medical treatment it needs. Uh, the hospital's chief nursing officer, Connie Miles, uh, told local CBS 7, we started seeing some patients come into our facility that were needing more care than what they could get at home last week, and we've transferred some patients out to larger facilities, you think? Our biggest issue right now is finding facilities that will take these patients, because every facility in the state of Texas is full. Iran, like the other districts that have closed down, is an area where fewer than a third of residents are fully vaccinated. So this part of Texas, we're talking 80 miles from critical care facilities, right? This would be where you'd want high vaccination rates because it's a long ways to help. Fewer than 33% of residents have had both shots or the one shot from <laughs> fewer than one third are fully vaccinated. All right. And that's just nuts. Now, the Tribune expanded on how prevalent the problem was in the Iran school district, as about 27% of instructional staffers were already out due to COVID-19. And that was before these awful numbers were released this week. So, I mean, um, these staffers, as well as other facility staff, pose a much larger risk of spreading the virus than in many larger areas, simply because many of them have numerous responsibilities, besides just being teachers. Uh, during the day, some teach and then coach and then drive the bus. I mean, you know, the fact is, is, I mean, um, Morgan Mill Independent School District in Fort Worth, Texas closed after half the staff was out sick. I mean, <laughs> not to depress you all further, but according to Morgan Mill Superintendent Wendy Sanders, many of the staff out sick did not want to be tested for COVID-19. She said it was their personal choice not to get tested. I don't believe in taking away personal freedom of choice and enforcing testing. 
Well, fine. Uh, but then when can they be allowed back in the school if they're not going to get tested to see if what they had was COVID? It, it, so it's hard to say whether or not simply saying you're sick means you just sit out for 10 days until maybe you feel better. So you don't test before coming back to school and then face a population of children, many of whom cannot be given a vaccine at this time because they're not 12 or older, even if they wanted one, you know? So Ira Ann's school system joins others throughout Texas in closing down as COVID-19 surges across the United States. Um, according to the Associated Press, 21 uh, other Texas school districts have defied uh, Governor Abbott's terrifying overreach in saying that you may not do mask mandates. These rural schools will also have to deal with state-mandated instructional time being lost due to closures. Uh, there'll be some remote conferencing mixed in with extended days, probably nixing some minimum days that were supposed to be allotted to teachers for instructional planning. Uh, now, Ira Ann General Hospital reports it has a sufficient supply, by the way, of Moderna COVID-19 vaccine available. They say, please call our rural health clinic. You know, uh, they have what they need to vaccinate you. I don't know if you happen to have um, friends on an international basis, but I do. And I can tell you that it's kind of an embarrassing scenario that we're in here. There are plenty of countries out there that don't have the vaccine supplies needed for everybody who wants to get a vaccine. And matter, matter of fact, a lot of countries out there are severely withheld from properly vaccinating their uh, population because while they want to get vaccinated, they don't have the vaccines available. Meanwhile, here in America, we got plenty, tons, no problem. In fact, there was uh, one clinic uh, last month that was begging people to please come in before the vaccines went bad. It's insane. It's insane. But, 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 but there are, there are some mitigating factors to this. And uh, it's good old corporate America is one of them. Oh, yeah. Survey data suggests that roughly half of all U.S. employers are not guaranteeing workers time off to get a COVID-19 vaccine or recover from its side effects. Uh, and now, just to be clear, way better than getting COVID-19. But when I did get vaccinated, I was knocked out for about a day. It, it, it's uh, the body responds powerfully, which is good. If it responds powerfully to the vaccine, that means it's ready for when it hit, you know, gets faces. The real thing is the idea. But if your job is not guaranteeing time off, you know, without consequence to go get the vaccine or recover from the side effects, you're not likely to go get it, especially if, you know, you have to basically work every freaking day or hour you're offered in order to keep the roof over your head. Right. So that's a major obstacle in, in the United States' fight against this pandemic. Fears of medical complications and subsequent job loss have deterred millions of Americans from getting a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, Congress, Biden administration, they could do something about this, but they've refused so far to take even the most straightforward steps to address the problem, like requiring employers to offer paid time off for vaccinations, right? I mean, that would be a quick rule thing. I, Biden could most likely executive order that sucker. Now, that failure might soon come to an end if this much-discussed $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill ends up passing through Congress. 
the Democrats' current framework for that legislation, which is, you know is uh, still being bandied about by some conservative quote unquote Democrats, in other words, Republicans that happen to wear the D badge. Um, but the current framework creates a paid family and medical leave program that could give workers the time off they need to get vaccinated. Now, again, survey data has repeatedly shown a connection between vaccination rates and employers providing paid leave. Uh, in May, the nonprofit health policy organization Kaiser Family Foundation reported nearly one in three unvaccinated adults say they would be more likely to get a COVID-19 vaccine if their employer gave them paid time off to get vaccinated and recover from any side effects. Another poll from Kaiser Family Foundation from June found that about two out of every 10 unvaccinated employees would be much more open to the shot with paid time off. Now, these, these results are consistent. It's not just Kaiser. These are consistent with those of a July Axios-Ipsos poll, which found that 25% of unvaccinated Americans would be more likely to get vaccinated if they had paid leave to do it. Now, that same poll from Kaiser, though, so in June, showed that only half of workers out there say their employers have offered such benefits. Half. That's not good. Now, despite all that, congressional leaders and the president have declined to use their power so far to require paid time off for COVID-19 vaccines, even as, you know, we've got the Delta, more virulent variant coming spreading throughout the country. Um, for example, in December, the limited paid sick leave protections included in the original COVID-19 relief legislation passed under uh, Donald Trump expired. So if you may remember, there was paid sick leave protections that were in place thanks to the pandemic, but they expired in December um, that uh, Trump and last year's Congress put in there. And Democrats in Congress did not renew the program in their COVID relief bill earlier this year. Now, more recently, the Biden administration delayed a promised Labor Department rule creating COVID-19 safety standards. A draft of those standards recommended paid leave protections for all workers, but after business groups lobbied the department and White House's Office of Regulatory Affairs, the final rule only included mandated paid leave for healthcare workers. So, in other words, <laughs> corporate America strikes again. There was, there was a draft of COVID-19 safety standards that included paid leave protections for all workers, but your big business groups, your United States Chamber of Commerce, those wonderful people lobbied hard against it, and the final rule only allowed healthcare workers that leave. Now, that scaled-back rule leaves millions of other workers without job protections when they get vaccinated, causing two unions, in fact, to launch lawsuits calling for more extensive protections. Now, rather than you know require paid leave for COVID-19 vaccines, the federal government has opted to offer limited financial incentives here and there. In March, for example, Biden's American Rescue Plan stimulus bill offered a tax credit to qualifying employers that provided workers paid leave to get vaccinated. In July, the Treasury Department expanded the program to encourage more vaccinations, but this is, this is essentially begging businesses to do the right thing. Please, please, we'll, we'll give you a little tax credit if you let your employees go get vaccinated. Whew. Around the country, many states, by the way, have also 
failed to require time off for vaccinations. Um, in the original draft of its COVID-19 safety standards, OSHA noted that the patchwork of state and local reg- regulations have led to inadequate and varying levels of protection for workers across the country. Uh, New York and California, for example, have supplemental paid sick leave policies, but other states like Pennsylvania leave the matter up to, you know, individual counties and cities. 18 states, on the other hand, now have laws that bar local governments from enacting paid leave mandates. That's right. That's right. There are 18 states out there where they are so determined to make sure you are discouraged from getting a shot to save your life and the life of others that they have barred local governments from enacting paid leave mandates. No, you are not allowed to tell your businesses if you're in these states that you will, uh, you will, that they have to give paid leave to their workers just to go get a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, this budget reconciliation bill could help address these shortfalls, depending on how a promised paid leave plan ends up being structured. Right now, Democrats have only promised some form of leave program in their budget package, but the details have yet to be finalized. Biden's proposed American Families Plan would establish a paid family medical leave benefit for workers to be phased in over 10 years. It would eventually guarantee 12 weeks of paid leave, with the government expenditure being capped at $4,000 a month. But, um, yeah. Now, now, in addition to fear of job loss, data also shows that America's for-profit healthcare system and its multitude of surprise bills is known for are also discouraging people from getting the vaccine because despite the fact that COVID-19 vaccines are supposed to be free for all Americans, this K- another KFF survey, a Kaiser Family Foundation survey from June, found that the uninsured were the demographic with the lowest percentage of vaccinations because a third of respondents were hesitant to get the shot because they were afraid of getting an unexpected medical bill. Oh, sure, it's supposed to be free, but what happens if they decide to bill me, right? Now, it's not necessarily an unreasonable fear. In fact, these fears of surprise billing have been exacerbated by some insurances, uh, insurers, I should say, sending customers bills for getting vaccines. Now, these bills were technically mistakes. COVID-19 vaccines are free. By law. The incidents, however, are frequent enough that in April, the Department of Health and Human Services had to weigh in requesting vaccine recipients report medical facilities that attempt to charge them for vaccines. In other words, the DHHS has said, hey, look, if you run across one of these rogue nuts, these jerks that are trying to charge you for getting vaccinated, report them. They're not supposed to charge you. This is free. <sighs> You know, if we had universal health care, this wouldn't be a question. No one would be hesitant for billing. You know, nobody would be hesitant for billing. Despite such data, Biden has abandoned the public insurance option plan he campaigned on back last year. In May, President Biden left the measure out of his proposed budget, and it's not included in the reconciliation budget bill currently be considered by Congress, right? <sighs> It's frustrating. However, however, there is one one bit of hope for you here in Wisconsin specifically. Wisconsin will give you $100 if you get a COVID-19 vaccine by Labor Day. Okay? 
So if you haven't gotten the COVID-19 vaccine yet, so in other words, I don't qualify. I'm not getting a hundred bucks. I've already been vaccinated, right? But if you haven't, if you've been sitting out there, oh, I don't want a vaccine. Well, you know what? If you get it the first shot before Labor Day, that's before Monday, September 6th, you got a little over a week. You can receive a $100 gift card. Okay. That's the, and, and so, by the way, if you already got the shot, but it was uh, starting August 20th, you qualify. So, anybody who gets their first shot August 20th through September 6th qualifies for this $100 gift card from the state of Wisconsin. The $100 will help provide support to people who want to get vaccinated, but can't get transportation or childcare or time off work to do so is the idea. Um, so by all means, take advantage of that. If you are like, fine, I'll get vaccinated. I'm going back to school or whatever it is. Do it anywhere from August 20th, which was, you know, seven days ago, um, all the way through, uh, September 6th, which is a little bit more than a week after now. If you go get that vaccine in the state of Wisconsin, you could be have a hundred dollar gift card. Just, you know, do it. Please, <laughs> before we become like Texas, just, you know, smaller and with better cheese. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. Yes. On WSUM 91.7 FM in Madison. Hallelujah. My Savior, man. No one person of Jesus Christ. It's your cure for the common media. Airing every Friday at 5 p.m. Central. Podcasting every Monday evening. I like it. I think he likes it. What's the more? Oh, yes. Check out TMI, TMI, TMI.com for podcasts and all things TMI. I know Kung Fu. Show me. If I had a 
we could just go up there and, and hang out. Like open the fridge and stuff, and there would always be foods laid out for us, with little pre-wrapped sausages and things. Mm. They have pre-wrapped sausages, but they don't have pre-wrapped bacon. Well, can you blame them? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a fur coat, but not a real fur coat, that's cruel. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you an exotic pet, yep, like a llama or an emu. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you John Merrick's remains, ooh, all them crazy elephant bones. And if I had a million dollars, I'd buy you. We just need more. And buy really expensive ketchups with it. That's right, all the fanciest ke Dijon ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a green dress, but not a real green dress, that's cruel. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a well, I'd buy you some art A Picasso or a Garfunkel If I had a million dollars If I had a million dollars Well, I'd buy you a monkey Haven't you always wanted a monkey? If I had a million dollars I'd buy you And we're back, TMI, with Aldous Tyler. Now, back on the uh, March 19th episode of TMI with Aldous Tyler, we had an interview with Faiz Shakir of the More Perfect Union Project. And uh, in it, we discussed, of course, how unions are the reason why we enjoy weekends, um, the reason why employer-provided health coverage is in, you know, an expected benefit. Uh, the reason why we have overtime pay and why there's a ban on child labor amongst many other benefits. This is because unions came together and forced these to be considered normal by society. Um, and one of the other things that we mentioned, it was kind of in passing, I suppose. But during the interview, I noted that uh, Collectivo Coffee of, uh, of Milwaukee was going to uh, attempt to unionize 
and that we were going to wait to see how that played out. Well, I'm very happy to tell you that Collectivo Coffee employees voted 106 to 99 to unionize, according to a statement issued Monday by International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 494 Business Manager Dean A. Warsh. Employees voted in a spring election, but a number of challenges to ballots required certification of the results by the NLRB, or National Labor Relations Board. According to the More Perfect Union Project, um, the union will represent more than 300 baristas, bakery, and other workers, making it the largest union of cafe workers in the United States. Now, Worsh said in a statement, Collectivo coffee workers have worked diligently for the opportunity to have their voices heard. Now that the ballots have been counted and once certified, IBEW Local 494 will begin moving forward with bargaining surveys and plans to assist them with their first negotiated contract. We're calling on Collectivo ownership to bargain in good faith with their employees once the election has been certified. Of course, Collectivo's owners aren't very happy with this. They posted an open letter to the company website in the wake of the announcement with some very cherry-picked and distorted facts. They said, We're disappointed by this result because a majority of our co-workers did not vote in favor of unionization and because the NLRB counted votes of several individuals who announced their resignations prior to the close of the election. Now... What they're also saying, at final count, less than one-third of the eligible workers supported the union. And as of today, it's our best estimate that fewer than 100 of our current 440 co-workers voted for this union. Okay, now, Beak, I'm going to break this down so that I will uh, make sure that you understand exactly where the lies are and where the truth is. And how technically... Every single thing they said was true, but presented in a way to make you think that somehow this is all illegitimate. So first of all, when you're forming a union, you only need to collect representation cards from at least 30% of the people there. Basically cards that say, yes, we want a union here. If you can do that, then you can get yourself a vote going for a union. So you get 30% or more of the people saying, we want to we wanna vote on this, right? Okay, and then it's determined by the National Labor Relations Board uh, who all will be represented at the workplace, and the people who will be represented are asked to vote. And if... Not everybody who will be represented decides to vote. Oh, well, the majority of the vote wins. If 50% or more vote yes, 50% or more of the people who vote, vote yes, it works. So, first of all, you might notice that the union is very close to note that the union at Collectivo will represent more than 300 baristas. Okay. And you will also note that Collectivo's owners said that fewer than 100 of our 440 coworkers voted for this union, right? Well, there's two things going on here. First of all, 
Collectivo, in trying to make it sound illegitimate as illegitimate as possible, are counting about 140 or so co-workers that aren't covered by the union, aren't part of the union, and so they're blowing the number up to 440, even though it's only about 300 that actually are going to be participating in the union, right? So first of all, they want to make it look like, oh, only like 25% of our 440 workers said they want this union. Yeah, but you know better, Collectivo owners. You know better. You know that not all 440 have anything to do with this union. Knock it off, A, right there. Secondly, the whole National Labor Relations Board count of votes of several individuals who announced their resignations prior to the close of the election. Well, okay. So what happened was they were, at the time, Valid individuals at the time that the the uh, election was certified to begin, they were valid co-workers, no problem. They voted yes, and then they happened to find a job that they wanted elsewhere before the election happened to be closed. So, <laughs> there's still a valid vote. At the time that the election was certified to begin, they were part of the uh, uh, eligible to vote uh, amount of folks. and. Frankly, again, it wasn't that many. Not that many people had left in the meantime. Um, and the fact is, like I said, the count was 106 to 99. All right. So that means that you had 205 total votes come in, right? For a total of just over 300 workers um, who will be represented. So you're looking at about 67% of the people who will be represented by the union decided to vote on it. That's wonderful voter participation compared to what we usually have in politics, right? So of that 67% who voted, right, um, well over half, well over half, uh, voted to unionize. And that means that all 300 of those workers then are collected. That's the way it works. Collectivo's owners know this. They just want to make it sound as illegitimate as they possibly can. And in fact, not only do they know this, but they have to recognize this. Later on in the same letter, they say, we will, of course, respect the rules and bargain in good faith. We will not allow this cha to change the remarkable Collectivo experience for our customers. We'll remain intensely focused on our customers and the generous and responsible approach we've always taken as employers will remain unchanged. We're committed to continuing to pay our workers at the top of the market and to actively supporting and engaging in our community. So here's the deal. That first sentence is really the only part you need to pay attention to. They said, acknowledging, we'll of course respect the rules and bargain in good faith. Because otherwise, they could be taken to some major, uh, they, they could be taken to task by federal court because they have an officially designated union that properly went through all the hurdles and certified themselves. So, of course, they're going to respect the rules and bargain in good faith because if they don't, their butts are in deep trouble. They would be the darkest roast ever. <laughs> um. I'll tell you what, though. So here's, here's the thing. So in the meantime, they're all like, uh, again, trying to paint the union as some sort of adversary 
to the customers. Oh no, we'll make sure this union doesn't make it bad for you guys, you, you customers. We're, we're, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to let that happen. And, and Hey, we've been generous and we've always been responsible when it comes to our employees, right? Okay. Well, apparently the employees have several points at which they feel you could have done better. You weren't willing to do better. So they unionized. So I love the fact collectivo owners, that you would like to paint yourselves as these wonderful employers who, you know, we don't know why they're organizing. It's just, it's not as if we've ever been anything but great employers. Well, apparently they didn't think so. Enough didn't think so, at least, that you now have a union and you're going to have to deal with it. More, I'll tell you what, you can get coffee from wherever you like, but I will feel very good buying coffee from Collectivo. And letting the people there know that I'm doing it because I am supporting union baristas at a union shop. You can do whatever you like. That's how I'm going to handle it. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back.
TMI with Aldous Tyler. As you may know from listening to this program, I'm a big fan of alternative energy, you know, the energy that doesn't involve polluting the atmosphere. So, of course, I like solar. Um, I like all the kinds of solar, not just photovoltaic, um, but I also like wind. I like these big old wind turbines. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Something you might not realize about wind turbines one of the reasons they're large is because the larger you make a turbine, the more power efficient it is, the more power you actually get out of it. It's kind of crazy. So because of that, they're scaling these things up to some amazing proportions. In fact, in China, Mingyang Smart Energy has announced an offshore wind turbine even bigger than General Electric's currently monstrous Halide X. The MySE 16.0-242, it's a 16 megawatt, 242 meter tall, that's uh, just short of 800 feet, a behemoth capable of producing uh, power for 20,000 homes per unit over a 25-year service life. Now, that's a lot of numbers. That's a lot of numbers. But let me, let me see if I can't uh, break that down for you. Um, I mean, after all, here's the deal. When, when Mingyang's new turbine first spins up in prototype form next year, it's three blades, each of which are almost 400 feet long, will sweep an area bigger than six soccer fields, okay? Every year, each one of these turbines is expected to generate 80 gigawatts of electricity. That's 45% more than the, uh, the MySE 11.0203, and that's only a, with a 19% increase in diameter. So let me, let me make sure to bring that back to you here. They increased the diameter of these giant turbines by 19% and are getting 45% more power per year from it. I mean, there's no wonder why these things keep getting bigger. The bigger they are, the better they seem to work, at least, you know, to a certain extent. And we haven't reached that extent yet. Also, by the way, the fewer expensive installation projects are needed to be undertaken to develop the same capacity. So basically, you can... For 45% more power per year, that means that basically every two of these bigger turbines equals three of the ones that are only 19% smaller in diameter. 
So that's a lot less cost. You can you can save a lot of costs by making them just a you know this nineteen percent bigger in diameter, and boom, you've got yourself uh, the same power production out of two turbines that you were getting out of three of the just slightly smaller ones. Um, the overall result should be a drop in offshore wind energy production prices, which is really a, a sorely needed drop. Current levelized costs of energy are estimated by the U.S. Energy Information Administration uh, for new energy generation assets going live in 2026. All that places offshore wind is the most expensive way of generating a megawatt hour at this time at $120.52 U.S., where the ultra supercritical coal is more like $72.78. Standalone solar, around $32.78. And all that's before subsidies, by the way. So it's really important to get wind more efficient per um, megawatt hour that it generates uh, as far as price is concerned, because it fills in gaps that solar can't. It's got to be a crucial part of the energy mix going forward. Scaling the industry up with these mammoth turbines is the key reason why industry experts are predicting that the cost of offshore wind will drop between 37 and 49% by 2050. Now, Mingyang says their new big old turbine is just the start of its new 15 megawatt plus offshore product platform, and that it's capable of operating installed to the seafloor or on a floating base. The full prototype will be built next year, 2022, and installed and in operation by 2023. Commercial production is slated to begin the first half of 2024. So, hey, just wanted to make sure you were um, kept abreast of that. It's a big deal, literally. And it's interesting. Again, a 19% increase in diameter gets you 45% more energy per year. Here's to hoping that we can continue to engineer such uh, advances so that wind can join um, solar as being cheaper than coal. Now, on another end of uh, renewable energy news, well, this one's not so good. General Motors has recalled every single Chevrolet Bolt ever made. Yeah. It's going to cost... $1.8 billion to fix the defects. Um, GM, as I said, announced it's recalling every Chevrolet Bolt made up to date, including new electric utility vehicle models, because there's concerns that a manufacturing defect in the car's LG-made batteries could cause a fire. So you remember uh, a few years back um, how you might have the, uh, I believe it was the Galaxy Note S7, and uh, that you could have an unintentional cigarette lighter feature by having the thing blow up on you. Yeah. Um, well, apparently something similar is happening to the Chevrolet Bolt. And uh, that's just really unfortunate. Now, the Bolt was first recalled in November when five cars that hadn't been in crashes caught fire. And after investigating the problem further, Chevy re- Uh, recalled a second batch in July, the problem was traced to two manufacturing defects that can occur simultaneously. Uh, The defects, one's a torn anode tab and a folded separator, created conditions that could lead to a short in affected cells. So far, the companies identified 10 fires 
that involve faulty batteries, according to an Associated Press report. The third and latest recall includes 73,000 bolts made from 2019 to 2022, the current model year, and brings the total recall to roughly 142,000 cars, with well over 100,000 having been sold here in the U.S. General Motors said it will be seeking reimbursement from LG. (laughs) Now, to fix the problem, the automaker is going to replace the vehicle's batteries, which is a costly and laborious procedure that will take some time. Until replacement batteries are ready and service appointments can be scheduled, General Motors has recommended that Bolt owners park their vehicles outside and limit their battery's state of charge to 90% or lower. The company also recommended not letting the estimated range dip below 70 miles. GM says it's working with LG Chem to ramp up production of the replacement cells. So again, dear listener, if you are the owner of a Chevrolet Bolt, no matter what year, General Motors right now is recommending that you park your vehicle outside. After all, if a fire starts, you don't want it inside a garage that could catch your entire house on fire. So park it outside. Keep your battery state charged less than 90%. But at the same time, also make sure that the gauge on the inside, which tells you how much range you've got left, is um, is uh 70 miles or better. Don't let it dip below 70 miles. So again, charge it less than 90%. Keep the range above 70 miles. Park it outside. In the meantime, uh, they're going to be working on getting this done over the next year or so, basically, about getting people into dealerships to getting these all changed out. Um, Now, even though electric vehicle fires garner high-profile headlines, It's not clear whether electric vehicles catch fire more frequently than internal combustion engine vehicles. Uh, Earlier this month, Tesla released a figure in a report claiming that fossil fuel vehicles are 11 times more likely to catch fire than Tesla's own cars, as measured by fires per billion miles traveled. On the other hand, 2019 data from the London Fire Brigade suggests that plug-in cars are more likely to catch fire than um, internal combustion engine vehicles. at uh, basically being just a little bit more than twice as likely. Now, me, I could uh, I could actually believe Tesla somewhat, at least, uh, in as much as, I mean, you already have fire going on inside of an internal combustion engine. It makes sense, considering there already is explosions going on under your hood, that, you know, maybe that would be slightly more likely to catch fire if, you know, something should go wrong uh, than an electric vehicle. But you know, like I said, we've got data on one end and data on the other. It's conflicting. Safe safe enough to say, though, that it might not be more fires. It's at least fires enough to, to be concerned about. As General Motors continues to invest in electrification, the company clearly understands it has to move swiftly to rectify this problem. GM spokesman Dan Flores wrote to CNBC in the wake of last month's recall, saying, We're working with our supplier and manufacturing teams to determine how to best expedite battery capacity for module replacement under the recall. These teams are working around the clock on this issue. And well, they should. So that'll do it for TMI with Aldous Tyler for Friday. August 27th, 2021. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. And hey, we love hearing from you, not just having you hear us here. So if you want to get in touch, 
please feel free. The email here is TMI at TMI, TMI, TMI TMI.com. That's TMI at TMI three times.com. Please, like I said, if you have any uh, suggestions, questions, or other uh, input you want to give, that's the email. Again, TMI at TMI three times.com. So TMI at TMI, TMI, TMI TMI.com. Finally, if you want to see the world for how it really is, remember, all it actually takes, once you've taken a good deep breath and let it out, remembered what matters to you, find your center core values, all it takes at that point is for you to simply 